Hi, and welcome to Weekend Watchlist, a look at what's screening and streaming brought to you by The Letterboxd Show. I am Mia, there, Mitchell. Hello. And together, we are going to dig through what's dropping this weekend, last weekend, recent trends on Letterboxd, and we'll also take a peek at our own watch lists. Normally, I'd say all under 30 minutes or your money back, but Slim isn't here, so there are no rules. We are off the leash, Mia Slim. He simply could not contain his excitement for the new Super Mario Brothers movie, and he had to be escorted out of the recording studio. We just can't, we can't condone that kind of chicanery on a weekend watch list. It's too much. He was out of control. He'll be given another chance to come back next week. We'll see if he's earned the right. We'll see if he can stay. But for you and me, I mean, we've got a jam-packed episode this week. We've got Chris Pratt going all Italian plumber, Ben Affleck and those hater blockers in air, and indie festival hits, How to Blow Up a Pipeline, and Showing Up hitting theaters. We'll read plenty of community reviews, tech weekend watch list, and of course, see what's going down in our own watch list shuffle. That's right. Welcome to our grande Italian American pride episode. <laughs> it's the us. <laughs> Let's start off with the Super Mario Bros. movie directed by Michael Jelinek and Aaron Horvath. This is on 60,000 watch lists and it is in theaters now from Illumination and Universal Pictures. While working underground to fix a water main, Brooklyn plumbers and brothers, Mario and Luigi are transported down a mysterious pipe and wander into a magical new world. But when the brothers are separated, Mario embarks on an epic quest to find Luigi. Wow. Big, I mean, it seems like a big journey. You know me, I've been hearing a lot of talk about a lot of a lot of criticism about the casting of the the lead actor in this movie. But I don't know. I watched the trailer. I think Bob Hoskins looks great. I think that he <laughs> he's really bringing the Italian charm. John Leguizamo yes, looks really good. Exactly. They have a great chemistry. So I don't know what people are complaining about there. But what are, what are your vibes on the Super Mario Brothers movie? No, I mean, exactly. Everybody's saying it's animated from Illumination, but it was live action. I was, so I was really confused. It was live action to me. Yeah. Really hmm. Interesting. Ah, ha, ha. No, we like to have fun here. We're just having fun. <laughs> you brought up the casting. And I just want to say, you know, Twitter is going downhill fast these days, but one of the funniest days on there was when the <laughs> casting was announced at Nintendo Direct. They were like Chris Pratt, Annie Taylor-Joy, Charlie Day, Jack Black, Seth Rogen, Keegan-Michael Key. It was a very funny day on there. Everybody <laughs> was shocked. Um, but I'm wondering, where was the Birdo casting announcement? I will be really upset if she doesn't make an appearance. Mitchell, do you know about Birdo? I've, I have never, I've never heard of Birdo in my life. Talk to me about Birdo. What's going on with Birdo, Mia? So Birdo is similar to Yoshi, um, but she's a trans icon. Whoa. This is, yes, yes. Yoshi has kind of like a trans girlfriend. Um, she's this beautiful pink dinosaur who has a hole for a mouth. And she wears a big diamond ring and a big red bow. And she's she's an icon. And I'm going to be really, really, really upset if she does not make an appearance. <laughs> That's all. That's all. I'm saying this now. Get get Birdo in this movie. Get, get Birdo, Birdo in the movie. In this movie. And I will say that I'm a sicko. I already have my ticket for an IMAX screening of this, but only because it's my duty as an Italian-American gamer. Um, I do think the casting of Chris Pratt is anti-Italian discrimination. And I think it should have been Chris Messina, but we will get to him in a minute. Don't worry. Yeah, let's let's dive into a couple of reviews on on Letterboxd of the Super Mario Brothers movie, which have mentioned some of the casting for sure. Harlow TR says, despite the casting of Chris Pratt as Mario, this was actually a lot of fun. The plot is simple. The animation is gorgeous, has a stacked voice cast, and will entertain the kids and fans of the games alike. There are plenty of Easter eggs, some too on the nose and some delightfully subtle. The Pratt casting hurts more, especially once you realize Charles Martinet 
briefly voices a not important character, but Jack Black and Anya Taylor-Joy make up for Pratt and it's still a lot of fun and will help you forget the 90s live action film. I'm I'm not sure about that last bit. I think the, <laughs> the 90s live action film, underrated, but I've been seeing a lot of love for Jack Black in, the, in a lot of the Letterboxd reviews. So it seems like some of the voice casting is definitely working out. Here's another one from Michael. Unlike the Sonic movies, this film knows exactly what you want to see and wastes no time in getting things rolling. Ooh, shots fired Shade at the Sonic for movies. for the Sonic woo, movies. Woo. By far, Illumination's best movie. Woohoo! For the first time since the first Despicable Me, you can sense the passion from everyone behind the scenes. Just wish we saw more of the brothers in this Mario mm. Brothers movie. Also, I, I mean, I feel like... Maybe you wish we saw more Birdo. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, I'll, that's we'll exactly. You, but. And where's Yoshi? Like, I, I just have, I have a lot of demands for this movie. <laughs> um, we'll see if they're met. But, you know, I promised we'd talk about Chris Messina a few moments ago. And now, here we go. Uh, here we go. <laughs> Air, directed by Ben Affleck on 28,000 watch lists. It is wide in theaters now from Amazon Studios. Sonny Vaccaro and Nike pursue basketball rookie Michael Jordan, creating a partnership that revolutionizes the world of sports and contemporary culture. Big deal. This So Air, it premiered at the South by Southwest Film Festival. It's gotten some advanced screenings. Jack gave us the update on the top 50 of 2023, which we'll get into a little bit more later. But Air debuting number 21 on the list wow. right now. I'm I'm really stoked for this. I'm not... You know, I used to be a sports kid. I'm not really a sports person anymore. I don't care about shoes. I've been wearing the same pair of Nikes for like 10 years. But I, I'm i a big Ben Affleck fan as a director. I'm really stoked for him to be back, you know, in the director's seat. And we had Annie Lyons and Jenny Kay at South by Southwest for us on the red carpet talking to Affleck and some of the cast. And it was interesting just hearing kind of how the development of this story came to be that it was originally written in One Direction, very focused on Sonny Vaccaro. And then through Ben Affleck speaking with Michael Jordan, it shifted a lot into focusing on his mother, Dolores, played by Viola Davis in the movie, and like her story. And it became more of like a panoramic sort of ensemble from what they were saying. And I think I'm really interested in seeing that development, but you saw the film, so maybe you can give a little bit of insight on how, like what we're actually expecting to see in air. I, I'm very grateful that they chose to flesh out the ensemble because the ensemble is is very, very strong. And maybe that's kind of the heart of the filmers, the rest of the characters to me. So as as the least sporty person on earth, I went into this expecting to not give an F. And then I really enjoyed it, truly. Like, I, I mean, I grew up in the Portland Beaverton area and went to high school two miles from Nike headquarters, not to dox myself. Um, but then I, and I also went to University of Oregon, like Phil Knight, who's played by Ben Affleck. Um, so Nike's kind of loomed over my entire coming of age. And it, it was very funny to see Affleck doing like an Oregonian version of Zuckerberg almost. <laughs> but yeah, Air, Air's main strengths are its ensemble, its tight script, its heart and humor. And it, it has this ability to walk the line between being accessible for those like you and me who may not know a ton about 80s and 90s sport culture, but it also caters to the hardcore basketball and sneaker heads with like little, little nods. Um, but ultimately it was Chris Messina as a sleazy agent and Jason Bateman as 
a a fatherly marketing VP that really stole the show for me. And I was lucky enough to talk to both of them. Yes, it's true. So before the interview, I was joking about using our entire four minutes to bond with Chris Messina about our Sicilian heritage. And then that was kind of what happened. But he started it. He started it. And here's the proof. <laughs> Mia. Mia. Did you Hello. say Mia Piccino? Vicino. Uh, Vicino. Yes, fellow Italian-American. Yes, yes. Oh, here um, <laughs> You know any Italian at all? No, no I'd embarrass myself. Are you, I have to ask, are you Sicilian? Yes, Messina. Yes, exactly. Okay, same. I'm Sadly, Sicilian. never Thank been you. to Messina, though, so I'm, I'm a disgrace. Oh, that's a city in Sicily? We'll get you there. Yeah. We will oh, get you yeah. there. <laughs> a village? A small village? Yeah. Fishing town. Have you spent time, oh, a, a lot of time family. in Messina? No, I also have never been, but someday, someday we'll get there. Okay. Chris Messina, truly, genuinely, as we all know, the best Chris. Let's yes. Let's read a couple of letterbox reviews for for Air before we move on. Jack calls Air an old school, hard on its sleeves crowd pleaser that hits all the familiar beats, but does so with an electric ensemble and snappy dialogue. It's essentially meetings and nerdy basketball talk for two hours, yet is so propulsive and consistently engaging, even when the filmmaking is rather elementary and its messaging largely undercooked. Everyone is just having the time of their lives here, and it's all a joy to watch. Affleck has a winner on his hands. It definitely sounds like a big crowd pleaser. Oh, yeah. And then we have another review from Matt. Surprised at how much I enjoyed this. It is so nice to see pros like Matt, Ben, and Viola at work. And Chris Messina is disgustingly sexy as a corporate douche. (laughs) So true, Matt. Thank you, Matt. Disgustingly sexy. He is disgustingly sexy. Disgusted by (laughs) how attracted to Christmas Eater you are in air. That is 100% true. And you'll all see when you go see (laughs) air (laughs) in theaters now. (laughs) Well, air, after you check out air in theaters now, you know, on Friday, How to Blow Up a Pipeline is coming out in limited theaters from Neon. Directed by Daniel Goldhaber, this is a film about a crew of young environmental activists who execute a daring mission to sabotage an oil pipeline. How to blow up a pipeline. First of all, every time I say that title, I'm terrified that I'm on like an FBI watch list. Like I think that <laughs> they're they're common for me. But this one has been buzzing on the Letterbox Slack like since it premiered at TIFF last year. And in Letterbox in general, like the, the reviews, the ratings for it have been through the roof. And it's very exciting that it's finally out. We had it on the best uh, films of the Fall Fest last year. So people are finally getting the chance to see it. You and I have both seen Mm -hmm. How to Blow a Pipeline, and I think we both love it. But tell me a little bit more about your thoughts on the film. So I, yes, we've both seen it, which is very exciting. And I felt that it is a genuinely radical film that gives voice to younger generations, you know, extremely valid anxieties about the bleak, bleak future of our environment. Um, it, it questions, like, how do we make change when there are so many powerful people in industries that very clearly prioritize money over our planet? And the answer is through direct action, such as blowing up a pipeline. Yes, yeah, Slim. Slim's not here. He's still he's banging on the doors trying to get in, but <laughs> we're not we're not letting him. Sorry, buddy. Sorry, you were too excited for Mario. But Slim did review how to blow up the pipeline on Letterboxd and said that it is heat, but for environmental activists, which... Ooh. I don't uh, disagree with. I think, as you were saying, like this is the first film since maybe like Paul Schrader's first Reformed, where mm. I feel like it's really directly like confronting those questions of like the world very much feels completely doomed right now, and like what like what can we even do about that? Is there anything we can do about that? And 
Paul Schrader's first reform takes like a really existential approach to it, whereas how to blow up a pipeline is like dirty and on the ground and focusing on people who are trying to do things to actualize that change. And like if they can't save the world, they're going to, you know, make the people who are responsible for destroying it know that they're responsible for destroying it. And I think that even beyond like all of that, like if you're not interested in activism and these kind of larger questions, which you should be, but if you're not, How to Build a Pipeline also just like really cooks as this like nerve rattling, like ticking clock thriller. There are so many sequences in this movie that just had me totally like squirming in my seat, like my blood pumping, just like waiting to see like how things were going to go wrong. Um, and it, yeah, it's really just like a nerve shredding movie but yeah let's check out some of some of the letterbox reviews justin calls the film one of the best heist films in recent memory gripping lean important filled with characters that are understated but charismatically portrayed beautifully shot on 16 millimeter with a pumping score that everyone mm -hmm. will want on vinyl so get that i mean the score is very dope i agree No, I also super, super agree about that fast-paced kind of electronic-y score. It, it really, it, it bolstered the film and made it that much more suspenseful. Um, we have another review from Marshlands. I have a theory about how the heist film, once a bastion of cinematic creativity and an outlet for socio-political anger, has all but died in the 21st century because of liquid modernity and neoliberalism and cowardly filmmakers. So it makes sense that something like this, a bona fide adventure process film, a marriage of heist film syntax and eco-terror semantics that's full of actual slash relevant rage would hit the spot for me. Excellent review from Ooh. Marshlands. Definitely check out How to Blow Up a Pipeline. But if you want something a little bit not not as terrifying as How to Blow Up, not as, you know, gonna upset your stomach as How to Blow Up a Pipeline, also coming out in limited theaters this week from A24 is showing up the new film from our beloved Kelly Reichardt. It's on 36,000 watch list. The synopsis An artist on the verge of a career-changing exhibition navigates family, friends, and colleagues in the lead-up to her show and finds that the chaos of life becomes the inspiration for more great art. Mia, I know this is a big Oregon movie. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you you see it showing up. Let, let's hear it. Let's hear it. How, how does it hold up for, for the Oregonians? This is rapidly becoming an Oregon Pride episode as well, <laughs> an Italian-American Oregon Pride episode. Um, so... Unlike Air, Kelly Reichardt actually shot this one on location <laughs> in Oregon. And you can you can really tell the whole thing felt like home to me. She she tells another of her trademark quiet and pensive stories. And this one is set against the backdrop of an arts and crafts college on the outskirts of Portland. Um, Michelle Williams plays a neurotic type A sculptor who who just wants to make art and hang with her cat Ricky in solitude. And then Hong Chow is her more like free spirited type B neighbor slash landlord who's also an artist. And they're excellent foils against each other. It's so quietly funny and tender and And also Michelle's Fableman's co-star, Judd Hirsch, is there playing her character's father. So that means it has three nominees from this year's Oscars in the cast. Sense Hong was nominated for The Whale. Stacked cast in, <laughs> in showing up. I'm super excited. I mean, Kelly Reichardt's one of my favorite directors. First Cow, I was like devastated not to see First Cow in theaters. It was like one of the, it was like in a couple theaters when the pandemic hit and everything got locked down. And then it was like thrown into disarray. And I was like, freaking out for months, like wondering how and when I was going to even be able to see First Cow and showing up premiered at Cannes last year was on our journal feature for the best of Cannes last year. And I've been waiting for it to come around and very excited that it's finally out. I want to read a review from Sophie who saw showing up at a fest last year 
and said that it was uh, their favorite film of 2022 and perhaps even my top right card. I've waited so long for what I knew would be a perfectly calibrated comedy from her and it really pays off here. The incredible performance by lumpy, socked, crabby-faced Michelle Williams made for some of my most genuine theater laughs in quite some time. Lots of wonderful supporting roles as well. Brilliant casting as always. It's small and simple, but in all the ways that make for a deeply human work of art slash about art. I loved it. Yes, yes, Sophie. We have another, we have a fun review from Isabel, who was actually an actor in the film, which is so, so fun when reviews like this show up on Letterboxd. So she mm-hmm. she's given us some insight, such as Andre Benjamin sat and ate lunch with us like every day, and he played his flute everywhere. <laughs> Whenever Kelly would give Michelle Williams a note, she would say, anything for you, Kelly. And on the hottest day in Portland ever, we had to shut down set. I remember running into Kelly on my way out of the building. She was like, nice shirt. And I was like, damn, they gave you a popsicle? And she was like, do you want it? Here. And I was like, I can't take a popsicle from our director. What will people think? <laughs> <laughs> you can you can always take a popsicle from your director, especially if it's yeah. hot out. There's no shame. It's hot no out. shame it's in Kelly. taking a popsicle from your director. It's very easy to make fun of Oregonians. We're very silly people. And but the way that Kelly does it is in a way that's full of love and appreciation for these people, um, which which really hit home for me. Let's quickly check in. We're we're burning through time here, but let's quickly check in on uh, the films that you and Slim discussed last week. See where they're sitting. Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves, at a three point seven average on Letterboxd. Pretty pretty solid standing. Yeah, that's up from three point six last week. I would like to add, it's going up. There we go. Going. The more people seeing it, the more people are enjoying it. A thousand and one is at a three point nine average, and we've also got. A very lovely interview with director A.V. Rockwell on Journal Now from Adesola Thomas interviewed A.V. And people should definitely give that a read. I also want to shout out Rye Lane, 4.0 average. It's on Hulu Ooh. now in the U.S. for people who want to check that out, as you and Slim talked about last week. And some stats updates for Rye Lane in our official Letterbox list. It's the 42nd highest rated film on Letterbox from a woman director, the 12th highest rated film from a black director, and the second highest rated film from a black woman director on Letterboxd right now after D. Reese Pariah. So check Riley Lane out if you haven't seen it. Very exciting, very good movie. Love it. Um, so now we get to talk about some of the things that we saw last week. I, I just want to brag. I did get to knock another movie off my watch list. I saw Christina Talking Pictures, directed by feminist filmmaker Yvonne Rayner. Uh, logged by only 154 people in Letterboxd, by the way. Let's get those numbers up. Mm-hmm. So it was very recently restored, and it is streaming on Canopy now as well. Um, and it's very, it's very, very experimental. Just, just as not a warning, but as a, a caveat. And it's loosely about a lion tamer who moves to New York to become an artist and falls in love with a sailor named Raoul. It's like an essay film mixed with documentary, mixed with a bunch of different things. Um, and I want to shout out that it's shot by Babette Mengolt, who also shot Jean Dielman. I I freaked out when I saw her name in the credits. <laughs> so yeah, I Mitchell, it's so exciting. Mitchell, what did you what did you see, or what do you want to call out? Yeah, I wanted to to call out something that I saw in Letterboxd reviews, which is that Bo is Afraid, which we'll talk we'll talk more about Bo is Afraid, the new Ari Aster film in a few weeks on Weekend Watchlist. But Alamo Drafthouse held some surprise public screenings over the weekend, giving people their first glimpses at the new film. And 
I wanted to uh, shout out Ben C's Letterbox review as one of the many people logging it and telling their story of how how this came to be. So Ben C's Letterbox review. So here's a story. Today I went to the Brooklyn Alamo Draft House to attend what I had been told was a screaming of the Midsommar director's cut, followed by a Q&A with Ari Aster. Before the screening began, Aster came out and said, you may have guessed something is up. You're not going to see Midsommar. You're going to watch The Strange Thing About the Johnsons three times. He then brought out Joaquin Phoenix and April Fools told us what we were really watching. I didn't wake up today expecting to be rickrolled by the first public screening of Bo is Afraid, not to mention a Q&A moderated by Emma Stone. But today <gasps> was an odd day. There's way too much to parse out here, and there are certainly some elements that work better than others. For now, though, I'll say this. People describe a lot of movies as dreamlike or nightmarish when what those people are actually saying is, that was kind of weird, huh? Bo is Afraid is one of the few movies I've seen that provides the sensation of real dreaming when everything is off kilter and unsettling, and yet somehow in the moment feels entirely logical. This has Patti Lupone, a company called Shiva Steves, and Nathan Lane calling Joaquin Phoenix my brother. Doesn't that sound wonderful? <laughs> and I think that does sound wonderful. That does sound wonderful. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm seeing this at 10 a.m. soon. A three-hour Ari Aster movie at 10 a.m. Sounds yeah. like something that's going to wake you up. Yeah, everyone pray for me, please. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm very excited for this, um, partially because Parker Posey is going to be in there. Posey my girl, himself. my sister. <laughs> so now I guess I suppose it's time to move on to the Letterbox Top 50 of 2023. Big updates this week. We've got two new additions to the top five this week. Uh, the French film All Your Faces is at number four on the Letterbox Top 250 of 2023. Uh, Jack says that All Your Faces appears to have a similar approach to 2021's Mass, where characters mm -hmm. with a dark history are confined to one room, which, I mean, that that's a genre that always... Uh, excites me, gets my blood pumping, gets me interested in a movie. So I'm definitely going to want to check out All Your Faces when it becomes available. I love a chamber drama. Small cast, it feels like a play. Ooh, I love those. I love those. Uh, and then we also have a few South by Southwest favorites making the cut with Evil Dead Rise, Air, and Blackberry all placing this week. I'm super stoked to check out Evil Dead Rise. I want to like rewatch all of the Evil Dead movies before that comes out. Same. But Speaking of, you know, revisiting or first watches of older films, let's get into our watch list shuffle. You watched you watched a biggie, a best picture winner. So let's let's hear let's hear what your thoughts were on on Terms of Endearment. Yes, yes, I watched Terms of Endearment and this one this one swept the 1984 Academy Awards. It picked up best picture, best director and adapted screenplay for James L. Brooks, best actress for Shirley MacLaine and best supporting actor for Jack Nicholson, who is playing a character named Garrett Breedlove. <laughs> uh but that's not even the greatest name in the movie. Jeff Daniels is a professor named Flap Horton. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Professor Flap Horton, my favorite character. Um, so, so I watched this. I've been referring to it as James L. Brooks's Lady Bird um, mm -hmm. because there are so many parallels. You know, it's it's a fraught mother daughter story. There is a shot near the beginning of the two in bed that is essentially the same as the one of Lady Bird and her mom. And there's a plot point about like a son being so ashamed of their house and lying about where he lives because of it, which is again like. Exactly, Lady Bird. But this one is is a lot sadder. <laughs> watch out! It, it 
watch out. Yeah, in terms of being a, a bleak movie, it's definitely a, a tissues mm-hmm. a tissues movie. Um, and I was not expecting it, by the way, to be that bleak. <laughs> I really wasn't. It was like all fun and happy for the first part of it. And then I was like, what the? Yeah, it starts off super chipper. James L. Brooks, he, he really sneaks it in there with you with, with yeah. the, the tearjerker element. I watched, uh, my watch the shuffle was The Long Good Friday a 1980 British sort of like gangster movie. It stars Bob Hoskins, my beloved Mario, uh, my favorite Italian plumber as a, like a gangster, like it's Cockney gangster who's trying to go like legit businessman and working this deal with some Americans for, you know, um, this like business deal. And then as he's trying to get this set up, um, some of his allies start getting blown up, blown to smithereens, stabbed. All these people start dying and he's freaking out, trying to figure out Who's doing this? Why they're doing it? It's very intense. Um, it's it's very very intense. But I will say it starts off with a score like there's this like badass synth score in it. It came out in 1980, and I feel like it's this awesome like transition movie between like the like Cockney like gangster movies of the 70s and the sort of like William Freakin' Michael Mann like mm. crime movie riffs of the 80s and that synth score I think is the perfect sort of like transition there where it, it sounds like a, like a, almost like a Tangerine Dream kind of score Ooh. that really got me into it very you know energized with what the movie was delivering I really liked it couldn't understand half of the words people were saying <laughs> but I wanted to shout out Mason at the movies reviewed it and uh, tagged the film Weekend Watchlist and he said effing hell my Easter better not go down like this. And I will say, The Long Good Friday is a movie that I've had on my watch list for like over a decade. And somehow I did not realize until what that like until watching it that its title is like a double meaning because it takes place on Good Friday. I oh. didn't even put that together. <laughs> Until I started watching it. So sort of kismet that I got that as my watch list shuffle, you know, watching it the week of Black Friday or not yeah. of uh, Good Friday. <laughs> that was that was a nice surprise. Let's shout out some letterbox reviews that have been tagged. We can watch those. What are some other people shuffling? Let's do it. Maddie J reviewed Inuo, a queen infused anime rock opera set in feudal Japan. Hell yeah. I mean, that's that's definitely uh, capturing that movie well. I wanted to shout out uh, Marina Carlson's review of Miami Vice because I feel like you you and Slim like reading the Marcel the Shell reviews whenever they pop up. I feel like I want to just call out any review. Like, I want to call out a Miami Vice review every week until you finally watch Miami Vice. So Marina's <laughs> review, tagged We Can Watch Liz, says, What a casually phenomenal performance from Colin Farrell and his hair. I was absolutely emotionally wrecked at the end of Miami Vice, of all things. What I really appreciated was the Gong Lee of it all. I genuinely believe this film would not work as well as it does without her. And the chemistry is, like, insane. Totally agree, Marina. Mia, you got to see what Colin and Gong are getting up to in Miami Vice. It is steamy. I've heard about this. I have have really heard about him and Gong, and it's going to hurt me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not ready. One day, though. One day. That's going to be a big ep. Big ep. Uh, Let's do one more review. Robert reviewed Cronenberg's Scanners. Really cool head stuff. (laughs) Totally. Totally agree, Robert. That's 100%. uh, The most accurate review of Scanners on Letterboxd, I think, is just really cool head stuff. (laughs) Let's dive into our watch list now, Mia. Let's do our shuffle. Mm -hmm. Let's see what you and I are going to have to watch before we come back on weekend watch list. All right, I'm gonna sort by sort my watch list by shuffle, filter it by stream only. And the first film 
that comes up is what I'm going to have to watch for the next week. My film, it's a big one, Freeway, 1996, directed by Matthew Bright. Her life is no fairy tale. Following the arrest of her mother, Ramona, young Vanessa Lutz decides to go in search of her estranged grandmother. On the way, she is given a ride by school counselor Bob Wolverton. During the journey, Lutz begins to realize that Bob is no, the notorious I-5 killer and manages to escape by shooting him several times, wounded, but still very much alive. Bob pursues Lutz across the state in this modern retelling of Little Red Riding Hood. That feels a little spoilery. I don't know when that's going to happen. I mean, he's going to get shot in the movie, but this is what I've been stoked to see this for a long time. Kiefer Sutherland is the, oh. the I-5 killer. Reese Witherspoon is <gasps> Vanessa Lutz. This got uh, recently got a 4K Blu-ray release from Vinegar Syndrome, which I own and will be I was going to ask, do you already own it? Okay, I that's perfect. I do own it. But it is <laughs> streaming on Amazon Prime and Tubi for people who do not own it and buy copious amounts of movies that they don't, they haven't <laughs> seen and don't watch for a while. But I'll be checking out Freeway. What did you get, Mia? So I have I have a funny request for the first time in the history of weekend watch list. Wow. Okay. I, yeah. Right. Yeah. Big, big, big history. Big history. Slim's making. not here. The rules there no, are no longer rules. apply. So so get this. I shuffled and I got the film Batman Returns, nineteen ninety two, directed by Tim Burton. But wait a second. I, hold on. <laughs> but I haven't seen Batman, the first Tim Burton Batman, nineteen eighty nine, which is also in my watch list. So I'm wondering. If it would be allowed for me to watch Batman 1989 before I watch Returns, or do you think I, will, I should watch both? I'll make the ruling that you're allowed. To, you can switch it to Batman 1989 and do that. But I will say, didn't we talk about Batman Returns on the the Holiday Four Phase yes. episode? And I was very quiet because I hadn't seen it. <laughs> <laughs> you said this. Uh, this sounds great. I'll put it on my watch list. But you guys can. <laughs> Enjoy the time. Yeah. Yeah. You go, you go ahead and you watch Batman. I feel like. Okay. I feel like watching Batman, you will then be inspired to finally watch Slim's favorite Christmas movie, which we all agreed to watch and you did not Oopsies. uphold your part of the deal. I know. I was in New York. I was on a little vacation. I'm sorry, Slim, That's but I'm That's atoning. Fair. That's fair. I am atoning. I am the atoning, atoning now. The starts now, but once you mm -hmm. watch it, you're, you'll are you be primed and ready to watch Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman, and I don't I think know. you'll be able to turn away from it. So Exactly, exactly. I think I think that I'll be so inspired by the first Batman that I'm going to be like, okay, fire up Batman Returns. I want to yeah. see him come back. So for extra credit, I'm going to try my best to also watch Batman Returns. Stay tuned, kids. Yeah, stay tuned. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to Weekend Watch Us, brought to you by The Letterboxd Show. You can follow Mia, Slim, Mitchell, that's me, and our HQ page on Letterboxd using the links in our episode notes. If you had the time, maybe consider rating the podcast on Spotify or leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It helps spread the word about the show. Thanks to our crew and thanks to Letterboxd member Trent Walton for the theme music, Eyes On. Thanks to Jack for the facts and Sophie Shin for the episode transcript. And to you for listening. Weekend Watchlist is a Tape Deck production. This, this, this is a Tape Deck podcast.